Good morning. Can we just thank that wonderful worship team for doing what they do so best? And that media team, one more time up there for that crew making all that stuff happen up there. And that usher team in the back doing what they do every week. And how can we forget the greeters at the front door real loud so they can hear us? Awesome. Uh, church doesn't happen without you, and we're so grateful that so many of you have made it your full-contact MMA sport, that you're in the game and you're doing it. Um, I am so grateful for this past week, uh, month with Wednesday nights, uh, the Jacobs who are here. I never really want to point you out or profile you, but if you could stand just real quick. The Jacobs are actually at the Bible College. Sorry to do it to you. These, listen, these are quality people. Thank you. Thank you. These are quality people. They were over all of the missionaries in Asia Pacific. All of the missionaries reported with them. And the past few weeks on Wednesday night, they've been coming in and sharing about missions, especially with Missions Month coming up. It's, it is a powerful window of the year for us. It's, it is like the spot for us as a church. And uh, last Wednesday, they brought in the top person in the Assemblies of God for all missions work in the United States. And I just, uh, I was teaching financial peace, which is important, but I was over there and I was like, oh man, I want to be in here. And it, it was just blessed me that we have leaders that can speak to crowds of 100,000 and yet never forget a small group like us, a small church like us. And, and that just shows me the kind of leadership that we have. It also speaks to me of the kind of quality of people. For those of you that are from the Bible college that attend here, you know, it's common where you're in that kind of work that people never connect to a local church and they just never really say, no, this is, this is what the work of God is. And these are people that could get up here and do a better job than I do it. I mean that with all my heart. And yet they're coming up here and bringing in speakers and sharing during offering and, and Ben helps with with, uh, ben Phillips helps with security, and I just, I just want us to give them a round of applause for being the kind of people worth following and say thank you. And I'm honored that you would be a part of our community, and I feel inadequate to say, I'm your pastor, let me help you in your hour of need, but you guys have been pastor to me in an indirect kind of way, and I just want to say thank you for the quality of people that you are, and thank you for all of you that are here. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. You are not an accident. You are not defective. You are designed by God, and this thing that we've been talking about over the past few weeks of taking steps, you never grow too old for it. There's always the next step for you, and today we're stepping into the topic of purpose, purpose, discovering purpose. My life is not an accident. I'm not a log, a piece of driftwood on the ocean. I have a destination and I'm navigating things and we want to help you discover that purpose so that you can make a difference for all eternity because it's not just the people in ministry that are called. It's actually the people in ministry. We exist to equip you to go get them and to do it. And so we want to help that happen for you. And that's really of what we're looking at here. And the Chinese proverb says it like this, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And you can bring a horse to water, you can't make him drink, but man, I've learned you can make, a, you can make him real thirsty if you try real hard. And we want to put a thirst in you for God's purpose in your life. And you know, the day we stop stepping is the day we start dying. And we, that's what life is. It's movement, it's motion, it's growth. And so all, when you begin to feel like you're looking at yourself and you're like, man, I just, my life is going sideways. I thought I'd be so much further than I would be. And you know, all that kind of stuff. That's the moment where you need to stop, take your eyes off the inward look, begin to put them upward 
forward and God will say, hey, why don't you look outward because I put you in this world so that you can impact it for my glory and my honor because you're my child and I love you and you have a job to do and God wants to set you on that task. That's where life is at its most fulfilled. And so if you're wondering, well, what's the next step for me? You go to our website, lolag.org, and there is a spot there called Next Steps. You click on that, I guarantee you one of those things on there will apply to you. If you're not in a small group, get in one. If you've never attended Next, we have the first through the fourth of each Sunday. You go to the last room on the right, you show up at Next, you will totally plug into each of these steps that are there. If you've never been baptized in water, the fifth Sunday of every month, this Sunday, next uh, two weeks from now, Teen Challenge is going to be here, but we're also going to have... Uh, tons of baptisms that are going to take place. There's a place for you. There's a step for you. God wants you to plug into it. He doesn't want you to be lost, misunderstanding your purpose. He wants you to identify who and what you are. More importantly, whose you are. You belong to him. You're his, and he loves you. There's a folklore about a hawk that grew up with chickens. Have you ever heard this one? So this, this guy, find, the farmer finds a hawk and he puts it in uh, his chicken coop and he's like, it's just a baby hawk, so it's not going to hurt them. And so what happens? The, the, the baby hawk is looking around at all the other chickens and saying to himself, what am I supposed to do with myself? And so all of a sudden he sees the chickens, you know, pecking up, pecking up seed. And so all of a sudden he's like, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. And so he starts, you know, doing that. And the years go by, and all of a sudden, he's noticing, like, I'm a little bit different, you know? Like, I can't grab the seed with these big talons, you know? And every once in a while, I'd be tempted to grab a chicken, but he'd be like, I can't do that. I'm supposed to pick up seed. And so he'd keep doing it. Well, a friend of his came in and said, man, you got a hawk in there. Don't you understand? Like, let me help this hawk understand its purpose. And so he said, if I put it up on the post of the fence, he'll fly away, because that's what he's intending to do. And so he puts him up on the post, and what does the hawk do? He looks at him, he looks out, he looks back on the ground, jumps down. What does he start doing? He starts pecking up seed again. He tries this again and again and again, until one day, overhead, he looks up, and he sees a hawk flying. And he's like, he looks a lot like me. Oh my goodness. And he gets up, and now instead of him being on the post, he jumps up on the post. Now instead of spreading his wings out for him, he spreads his own wings, and he takes flight, and he leaves behind his chicken life and enters in to soaring in new heights. And friends, this is what I feel. The truth is for many people in the kingdom of God is that they feel that they're a chicken and they're a a product of their own environment and God has not called you up to peck up seed. He's called you to soar like an eagle to different heights and greater things. You were made for so much more. You have a greater purpose and that's what this is about. Amen, you can get excited at that because... (laughs) But this is the sad truth. Eight out of 10 people are like that hawk with the chicken. They never even ask, was I made for something more? They never even ask, can I do things different than what they do? Am I designed? And eight out of 10 people go to their job, they go to their church, they go to their family, they go to the bank, they pay their bills, they go to their job, they go to their church, they go to their bank, they pay their bills, and then they get money, and then they spend it, and then they make more money, and they spend it, and then one day they wake up, and that's the end of their life. You were made for more than making a dollar. You were called to make a difference. That's why God saved you. And that's what we're talking about here. The two greatest days in your life is the day that you were born, and the second greatest day is when you discover why. You're not an accident. You're not an accident. 
You're designed by God. You have a purpose. And he has a plan for you. And we're going to cover that tonight, or today, sorry. And uh, if you'll just pray with me one last time, I'm going to ask God to help me say to you what uh, I'm just so limited to say. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would help us see the bigger purpose for our life. That it's not about making more money and it's not having a nicer house or the recognition of people. It's about making a difference. It's about us, Lord, that we already have in us what we're called to do and to be. We just have to unlock it. And I pray today that you would just excite people about the potential and the purpose and the plan and the direction and the connection that you have for them in this thing called the church, in this thing called their life. And that they wouldn't be like driftwood on the ocean, but they would be like a ship navigating the seas with intentionality, direction and purpose, carrying other people into great things. Lord, we own the mission today. And we just pray that you would help us to see this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, to cut to the chase on this, I'd say first off, the first thing I'd like for you to know is that you have a God-given purpose. You have a God-given purpose. Before I get into that, though, I have to get into this. I can't help myself. I went yesterday. Um, I'm going to have you just click on this with me real quick there. Thank you. We went to Six Flags. You see that? Uh, the teens went there. The youth went there. This is my crew right on the front row. Represent. And so we went up there, and they didn't have a bus driver. I said, I can drive a bus, but I, next time, somebody else, please drive that bus. But I said, I'm going for it. My son Andrew's there. I'm going to do it. And so we did that, and we had one of our elders' wives, Vivian, go with us. And I just went up to Vivian. I'm just, I'm just always pushing people. So I'm like, Vivian, it's time for you to take the next step in your life. It's time for you to find, find purpose and make a difference. If you, you know, most people never enter into everything that they have in their life because they come to a line and they say, no, nah, it's not comfortable, or no, nah, I don't want to or nah, I'm not going to do it. And you know what a curse word in my house is? It wouldn't be one that you would think I would say from this platform or out in the street. The word in my house, the, the biggest curse word in my house is this. My boys can tell you it is, I can't. You can. So I was cruel yesterday. I said, Vivian, you can do it. You can go on the Superman ride. And she did. Now, Caitlin looks like it's a photo op, but poor Vivian, nobody told her when you are on the steepest dropping roller coaster in the world, you need to hold on to something. And she went through the whole thing like, and then she got off and I was like, wasn't that awesome? She's like, yes. We go, let's do the free fall drop. And they were going, and so, right, me and uh, a couple of the kids, like Rebecca Ruiz and, and, and um, uh, a couple of others, we were just like, let them go on it. I'm not going on that thing. That's crazy. But I went up to Vivian. I'm like, Vivian, this is your moment. You can do it. You've got to cross the line. I wasn't practicing what I preached, but I was enjoying watching her get tortured. It was awesome. But that's what I do. I exist to push you to the next thing. And I might kill you in the process, but hey, we're all going to heaven. Some faster than others. <laughs> and so with that in mind, I want us to discover purpose. Listen, you, God, has a purpose for your life, and he will bring you to the door, but he is not going to walk, do the walk for you. You've got to walk it out. Anything, any ministry that costs nothing does nothing. And you've got to own the mission. You've got to plug into this thing and the mission of your own life, saying, God, what do you have for me? Eight out of ten people never do this. Eight out of ten people in the world, in the church, never stop to say, do you have something specific for my life, God? Have you made me for a reason? 
and put me in a place for a reason so that I can actually do something that will help other people around me. Nobody ever does that. You know what they do? They go to work. They go home. They buy a house. They get a car. They take a loan. They pay it off. They work. They have kids. They have a family. They go back to sleep. They start another job. They do this. And then all of us thinking that those things are going to do something for you that they never were intended to do. You were intended for things that are eternal. And the satisfaction that you are longing for that always comes up empty with the next job, the next relationship, the next thing, the next toy, the next dollar, the next thing that you participate in, you have an eternal difference to make. And the reason why it comes up empty all the time is because you're not tapping into the purpose that God has for your life. And I want to help you with that. There are a couple of verses that are really key to this. And this is really the first thing I want you to see here. You have a God-given purpose. For any of you filling that in, you have a God-given purpose. There are verses, I could just quote them from my heart and my head, but I want you to see them up here. Jeremiah 29, 11, famous verse, screams at us, this thing. I know, this is God speaking, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Listen, God has a plan. He has a purpose for you. You're not a mistake. You're his daughter. You're his son. And he's got things in mind for you, but he will not do them for you. They are for you to participate in and do. And he says, I want you to know, I've got plans. I've got plans. I've got plans. Plug into them. Listen to me. Listen to me through my word. Listen to me through your brothers and sisters around you. Speak to me about them. Talk to me in prayer. Talk to other people who know me. And let me speak into your life. You know why? Because God says this to Jeremiah. Same guy. Before Jeremiah, you were formed in the womb. I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. Listen, you were not somebody that just appeared in the universe. God put you when you are, when you are, where you are with direct intentionality because he wants to do something through and with you to change the world around you for eternity's purpose. Psalm 139.16 says the same thing. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He knows you better than you know yourself. He wants to get you places that you can never get to yourself. And he wants you to trust him. He wants you to follow him his way. He wants you to walk in his steps. He wants you to know him, to find freedom, discover purpose, because this life was made for you to make a difference. You have a beginning date for your, the day you were born and a dying date when you'll go. But the second date that is important to your life is not the day you die. It's the day you discover purpose. It's the day that you say, God, I was born to do this. I was made for this. Days seem like hours. Hours seem like minutes. Minutes seem like seconds because you're in the zone and you're saying, I was just born to do this, to love people, to serve people, to talk to people, to counsel people, to heal people, to help people, to make a difference. And that's why when you were coming in this morning, every single one of you got a puzzle piece for the most part. And if you didn't, there's some up here. I'd love for you to take it. You know what my hope is for this? So that you put this in your pocket every day for the next few weeks. And every moment throughout the day, every once in a while, you'd pull that out and you'd hold on to it. Say, God, what's my purpose? Where do I fit? What part do I play in the bigger picture? How many of you have ever put a puzzle together or watched someone do it? Not everyone and not every culture does this. But you get the box and inside of it could be a hundred 
Okay, I like those 25-piece puzzles. I can do those. But like some of them are like 1,000 and 5,000. I'm like, get a life. I'm not going to sit in front of something and go, does this work? Does that work? Does that? And God doesn't want to make it that hard, but it's not that easy either. You get a piece, and usually you start with the edges, and you're looking, and you see the final picture, but you, you begin to try pieces. And listen, when it comes to discovering purpose for your life, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to take time. You're, the, not all the things are going to fit perfectly. It's not always going to make sense. But the more you plug in and the more you put the pieces in there, the clearer the picture becomes. And the more you begin to say, this is it. This is, this is what I was born to do. This is why I'm doing it. This is what I'm doing. And thank you, God, for the privilege of being part of your plan. Listen, it's not a puzzle. God doesn't want you to be puzzled over your, his plan for your life. But he wants you to begin to try and build a picture because he has one in mind and your purpose is found in his plan. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to say to the people in the city of Ephesus. If you'd open up your Bibles real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump a couple of places. Speaking on a topical message is like totally not normal for me. Have you noticed like we usually go through books of the Bible. And I believe man this is a famine in God's word. There are churches that are preaching cool topics. And nobody remembers it. But there's a place for topical stuff. This is very topical. But I want to root you in a passage here that really speaks to this. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 4. Now once you get it there, put your finger in there and hold that. Because we're going to come to it in a few minutes. I'm actually going to start at a different part of Ephesians and bring us to where I want you to see this. But the Apostle Paul is in prison and he's writing a letter to the people at Ephesus. If there was a home church for the Apostle Paul, it was Ephesus. When he left and knew that he was not coming back and he was going to prison, they wept. They begged him not to leave. It he said, you're breaking my heart. Like he loved this church. It was their baby. It was like he, he was one of them. He was like, these are my people. But he was, said, I'm committed to what God has me to do and the purpose that God has called me to and I'm I gotta go. But he said, I know I'm gonna leave this world. I'm in prison in Rome. Let me whip out and write one last letter. If you knew that you had one moment to write one letter and it would be the last thing that you would do in this world, who would you write and what would you say? I think the answer is obvious. We'd write to those that are dearest to our heart and we would say something that would outlast our life so that they would experience the greatest things that this life God has for them. You'd speak purpose. You'd speak direction. And that's exactly why Paul writes Ephesians. Now, it might be an oversimplification of the purpose and topic of the book. I get that for those of you that are my friends that are scholars here. But, but it's right on point when Paul's trying to show them through the book in, of Ephesians to have them look at themselves and understand, hey, gang, the reason why you exist as the church, as a community, is because God wants to reconcile the world to himself through his family called the church, which is you. God wants to mend this world. Listen, God's hope for the world is you, the church, faults and all. That's why you're here. You have such incredible significance. You just don't even know. And, and in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says it like this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not enough to know about God's purpose for your life. You could, you could totally drift. Sit, kneel, stand, sit, kneel, stand. Go to work. Go to mass. You could totally do it. You could be like a piece of driftwood. But it's not enough. God wants you to plug into his purpose and his plan because he has good works for you to do. 
well, who's the right person in that hour? I have lots of friends. They're incredible people. Pastor Wally, who is going to be here the first Sunday in October, Sunday, mor- uh, Sunday morning he's speaking, Sunday evening he's leading us in our night of worship. This was a man that was on death row in Saudi Arabia for preaching the gospel. Like he walks, talks, eats, sleeps Jesus. I've never met anyone like him. He's one of those people where I'm like, I am proud to call him my friend. He centers me like in what really matters and those kind of things, and we encourage you to be here, but, but God's saying to us, man, I've got purpose for you. You've got to plug into it. It makes sense when you see it through the eyes of eternity and not through your temporal life. And that's really what Paul says. He says, man, you're the hope of the world. You're the church, and I know you're not perfect, but God didn't intend it to be that way. It's like one big dysfunctional family that might have a lot of things all messed up, but the one thing that have right is that they're called to love each other and to welcome more people into that circle called the family and be who God's called them to be, and that's who we are. And I know you're dysfunctional, but you're ours, and we love you, and uh, I'm just joking with you there. So God has a purpose for your life, and that's what he wants you to see, and He's given you a God-given purpose. You have a God-given purpose, but you have to discover it. Um, I don't know about you, but I totally love the ocean and sailing. It's the Irish in me. From henceforth, I shall be called the Commodore, the Admiral. (laughs) If you ever have gone sailing, and this is really cool, because next August, we're going to do, we're trying to do one married an engaged couple event a, a quarter. And one of the things we're doing is we're renting a British cutter ship and we're gonna have a whole bunch of us go out and do dinner and sail in Boston. It's gonna cost you, but like it's gonna be a great time. And uh, just so if it comforts you, I'm not sailing and directing the ship, so, uh, but we'll have a great time. But if you have ever watched, uh, before there were planes, trains, and automobiles, there was seafaring. And the first, nobody would sail beyond shore because they thought and were convinced that the world was flat and you'd go off the edge and there were all kinds of mysteries and legends that were to it. But then finally, they began to understand a couple of things. First of all, before there was magnetic discovered, there was the North Star. And they realized that they could take an instrument and if they sighted in the North Star, because the North Star is a fixed position, it doesn't change. It's the planet Venus. And if you get that set in there, you know that that's North and then behind you south, and then hopefully by the day, you know where the sun rose and the sun set, you know where east and west is, and you can keep your heading. And then as time went by, they began to do other things, like they took the compass, and they were able to realize that, hey, you can find out where north is, whether the stars are out, or the, the sun's out, or it's cloudy, or, and you can just navigate the world through a compass, and know where north is, south, east, and west. And um, if you are using those things, but you're not paying attention to what's up close to you, you're also going to make a mistake. So they, cre- they created the telescope and they wanted you to get out there and take a look with what's going on around you so that you could figure out what's happening. And how many of you just love like Pirates of the Caribbean or you love like all that kind of stuff? So maybe you're kind of like, Pastor Paul, I'm totally not into this admirable thing, you know, but I'm more of a pirate at heart. <laughs> I should have gotten a patch, you know what I'm saying? But Listen, whether you are a pirate or a commodore, either way, the analogies still work. You, if you just float, you're never going to reach God's purposes for your life. You're going to miss the very best that God has for you. If you just chase a direction because you hope that it's going to bring you what you, you want, but you're not following uh, you know, maps and you're not charting the course, you're going to miss everything that God has for you. Just recently, there was a boat that... Uh, 
came up on the shore of Ireland. It was, it was a United States Marine uh, Corps boat, or I think it was the Navy SEALs. It was like, like a small, like, raft boat just popped up. It was in the ocean for about like three and a half years. Nobody knew where it was, but it just showed up on shore. That's proof to tell you 70% of the world is covered with water. We know more about outer space than we do the ocean. And if you just want to sit there and drift and do nothing, you will totally get there and pop up in random unexpected places. And you'll go through your whole life and realize, oh my goodness, I had more purpose than this. I could have been going somewhere. I could have been doing something with more significance than just going to work buying a car, getting a house, having a family. You were called to eternal purposes. So you, my friend, are given a God-given purpose, but you have to discover it, you have to search for it, you have to navigate for it, and God's given you not a compass, and he hasn't given you a telescope, but he's given you his word, his spirit, people who listen to God called the church. You know what? I always have concern when somebody comes up to me. This is a Bible college. Those of you that are professors will totally get this one, right? When you're in Bible college, kids come up to you and like, the Lord told me to do this. And I'm like, no, he didn't. Because you know what the Lord told me is? I've got my mind made up and you're not allowed to speak into my life. I dare any of you to do that to your pastor. Come up to me. This is, you, want, you want to go through the, the ringer with me. Just be like, hey, the Lord told me. I'll be like, did he? Let's do it. Let's put it to the test. Does it make sense this way? Does it make sense? Listen, if you, if somebody, if everybody's saying something different than what you are, maybe that's not God's will for your life. Maybe the people who love you are saying, hey, I know you read a Bible verse and you feel a certain way, but it, everybody around you is saying the opposite thing. Maybe God's not in it. You know what? Because God doesn't only speaks this way. We talked about knowing God. That's important, but finding freedom happens with relationships and people speaking in our life. And if everybody's trying to help you get free and you're not listening to the counsel of godly people around you, you're gonna just drift and miss what God has for you. You'll turn up three years later on the shore and the coast of Ireland. But here's the thing that helps you get a little closer to the purpose that God has for you. Not only his word, not only his spirit, not only his people, but you got gifts. You have gifts and it's on purpose. God's given you gifts. Every single one of you in this room here have gifts from God. Now check this out. This is God and his spirit. And you know what? He comes up to every single one of us and he says, you know what? I'm going to pour out my spirit in this person and I'm going to gift them with wisdom and this person and I'm going to gift them with empathy so that when people have the blues, you'll be the one that'll come up and weep for them and comfort them. And you know what? You're the one that is going to totally teach people so that they can grow in God and be everything they want to be. And you know what? This is my older brother. He used to make me bleed a lot. And uh, just kidding. Now, let me ask you, which one of these is the best gift? The one that's needed. I have some incredible friends. I mean, I have some incredible friends. But some of you in this room, when I go through my dark hour, you're the one God put next to me to go through it with me. And then all of a sudden, when I go to the next moment in life, I'm going to look back and I'm going to think about you in the next place, and I'm going to say, I have some incredible friends. There was this usher at the church. There was this elder. There was this family. There were these people that used to always get me a coffee every week, extra cream, regular sugar, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I'm going to think of you. Because God's given you gifts to make a difference in the context that he's placed you in. You know, uh, the, there's a college in... Um, 
Indiana, I think it is, Anderson College or something. The president talked about this. This is a real hot topic in Bible college, but it's also in church, right? How do you find God's will for your life? Really basic. God, I wish that the Lord put one more name for himself in the Bible, Jehovah Common Sense. (laughs) Question number one, is it a real option? People all the time talk about God's will for their life, and it's not even a reality for them. Is it a real option? Question number two, does it use your gifts? If you're an introvert, God is not going to make you talk to thousands of people. He's going to use you as an introvert. Does it, is, it, is it according to your gifting? Is it according to you, how God shaped you? And then last but not least, will it, will it help you take care of your responsibilities? Now that's one that sometimes God says, yes, but I'm not going to take care of that until the back end. I want you to step out and trust me, which is all the more why you need people in your life saying, I affirm that. God is speaking to you. You need to step out by faith. The, the, the church, the spirit, and the word, but even sometimes the church say, yes, go for it. What's the right gift? It's the one that's needed at that time. Look at this verse in Ephesians 4, 7. It says this, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That Greek word, charis, Charis. Sounds like I'm getting ready to spit. Charis. <laughs> Front row, baby. Here it comes. Charis. Uh, this, it's a beautiful word. It literally means a winning quality, a colorful quality of attractiveness that invites a favorable reaction of gracious, graciousness and charm in other people. You have a colorful gift that God's poured in you. It's beautiful. And when it is, what's the right gift? The one that's needed at that moment. There's a moment for you that God wants you to colorfully pour yourself in the situation. Now, some of us are bright yellows and oranges, but a lot of us, some of us in this room are pastels and muted colors. And, and all of those things, all of us have a place. And one, one of the uh, scholars in one of the books I was reading said like this, the, a really great translation for this is, Christ has given each of us a special gift, our own part, in his abundant supply. You're not defective. You're designed. You're not an accident. You're somebody to bring about the purpose and the plan of God in the world around you immediately. And if you would plug into that purpose, if you discover that purpose, your life won't drift. You'll be directed by the grace and glory of God. And the Bible talks about all kinds of gifts that his word speaks of, where he talks about serving and teaching. Some people are encouraging. Some of you have empathetic gifts. How many of you are in this room right now, and whenever somebody starts telling their story, you start crying, but here's how you know. You're embarrassed about your tears. Raise your hand real quick. That's called empathy now you come to me and I start solving your problem this is what you need to do and you know I'm not the right gift for that you know what an empathetic person is somebody who's the right person doctor talked about the there's a story about a person that was in the hospital and their wife was in surgery and they passed away and first friend comes up, sits next to him. Man, you just need to hold on to your faith. You just need to keep believing God. You just need to go through and trust him. God's word says this. And he's quoting all kinds of Bible verses. And, and he gets up and he goes, you know what? The doctor comes out. And his friend's guy's rocking back and forth. So the doctor starts rocking. The person starts to cry. He starts to cry. The person leans over and he puts his arm over him. And he gets up and goes. And this is what the person said. The first person, I couldn't wait for them to leave. The second person, I didn't want him to go. You think that your gift isn't colorful enough, is important enough, is too subtle? Oh my goodness. 
You're not defective. You're designed. The right gift is the right one needed at that right hour in that moment. And you're that person. Whether God's given you mercy and empathy or knowledge and wisdom, discernment and prophecy, faith or miracles and healing and on and on and on and on and on. The truth of the matter is no one in here can say, woe is me because God has given you a gift. You just need to discover that purpose and let God have his way with your life. And that's really, life is a key word because God uses life to shape our purpose. God uses life to shape our purpose, for those of you filling that in. How do you find God's will? How do you find your shape? How do you discover your purpose and honor God with your life? How do you discover purpose and make a difference? We could say it a thousand different ways. Well, I'd give you a hint. This comes from a person I had the privilege of meeting years ago. His name was Doug Fields. He was a youth pastor. He had like 4,000 kids in his youth group. I just, someone said, I, I started doing youth ministry. I'm like, hey, I need to figure out how to do youth ministry. And they're like, oh, you need to talk to Doug Fields. So I got up. I didn't know, you, you know, people were important and big. I picked up the phone. I called up and I was like, hey, you Doug Fields? He's like, yeah. I go, hey, I'm coming out to California. I'm wondering if I could, you know, talk with you. He's like, yeah, let's do lunch. Let's go. So I show up. I have no idea what I'm walking into. I come to Saddleback Church and I come into a youth group that's bigger than any church I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, oh my goodness. I've got like 15 kids in my group like how am I and, and he sits down and he's like man Paul you know what it's really simple you got to help kids find their shape find their shape well what's shape he, spiritual gifts your heartbeat your abilities your personality and your experiences that's how you can discover it's not that much of a mystery it takes a little bit of puzzle work it takes a little bit of time but you need to really be a student of yourself and a student of your surroundings and God is trying to use life to bring out that purpose in you for example spiritual gifts you might be that person that totally feels for somebody else and you realize I'm an empathetic person and maybe your heartbeat is for people when they're grieving and they're and they're suffering and so your ability is, is that, well, man, I'm a really good chef and I'm a really good extroverted personality and I can connect, I know a lot of people and I connect with them. And then all of a sudden you just say to yourself, man, I've experienced some low moments in my life where I was alone and I was suffering. And then all of a sudden somebody stepped in and called up a bunch of people and prepared a bunch of meals. And instead of me having to cook where I couldn't even go out to pick up food, I had more food in my freezer and I know what to do with. And it was a blessing at that moment. There's a purpose, there's a ministry. Now, just like there's the church and then there's us, the church, there's also purpose and then there's specific purpose. Don't get lost in the grassroot details. Just find your rhythm and make a song with your life. Find out how God shaped you. I put in that handout, in our class next, and by the way, if you've never gone to next, I don't care if you've been here when Pastor Guyberson was here. Tenure means absolutely zip. I'm not impressed with how long you've come to church. God has more purpose for you than you realize. Get in next. The, every week, first, second, third, and fourth Sunday of every month, nine o'clock, last room on the right, we go through all of these steps on a regular basis. We've been doing it for a couple of years. It's had starting point as a name, 101, 201, 301, 401, the names change, the purposes remain the same. But we do lots of tests to help you know yourself. Uh, Myers-Briggs, for instance, anyone familiar with Myers-Briggs? <laughs> I am an ENTJ, which means I don't come to take sides, I come to take over. That's my personality type. And uh, ask the staff. <laughs> uh, spiritual pathways, you know, some people sense God during communion and 
the song service, and some people sense God through serving. It's like they never feel closer to God than when they're cleaning and vacuuming something. Some people feel God in different ways. Mine, personally, is I'm a naturalist. When I hit a hard spot in my life, I hop in my car, I go to the Franconian Notch, I get on the cable car up to the top of, of Mount Cannon, or I go to Rhode Island, and I walk the beach in Narragansett, and I just get myself out in nature, and I'm like, God, please talk to me. I'm crowded in by life, and God begins to speak to me. That's how I'm shaped. Uh, in the Enneagram, I'm a number eight and second number three. I struggle between the two of those, probably more of a, a number three than a number eight, an achiever versus a challenger. But either way, I'm challenging you and I'm achieving and uh, they intertwine all the time. Uh, if you're wondering, spiritual gifts, prophecy, teaching, shepherding, administration, and my strength finder, this is really key. If you really want to know me, type strength finders, 32 personality profiles, incredible. Mine is strategic, activator, woo, communication, maximizer, context. Why in the world do I go to all of that trouble? Because the more I understand myself, the easier it's for me to understand how God can use me. And what I do gives me strength. In fact, hours don't seem like hours. They seem like minutes. Minutes don't seem like minutes. They seem like seconds. The more I do it, I should be exhausted, but I'm invigorated. And I know those things where I do it and seconds seems like minutes. Minutes seem like hours. Hours seem like days and I need to avoid it and I need to partner with people according to my weaknesses and be who God's called me to be according to my strengths. But some of you in here are kind of like, well, I just don't fit in. I just, you know, go to next. Um, but the, the, the thing about this is, is that when you begin to understand that God is not looking for colorful, explosive, expressive things, although God may have made you that way, what he's really looking for you is to be not more like a divine God, he's looking for you to be more of yourself and your humanity. God, Jesus didn't come to make you more divine. He came to make you the best human you could be. That's why he took on the form of flesh and came as Jesus, to show us we can be like him as human beings. And, and he wants you to be the best you that you can be, but you might feel out of place. You might feel strange. You might feel like you might not fit, but so did the ugly duckling. And then you realize when you discover your purpose, you actually begin to realize that you weren't a duck, you were a beautiful swan. You weren't a hawk. You weren't a, you weren't a chicken. You were a hawk called to soar into greater things. What's the right gift? It's the one that's needed. It's the one that's needed. You might feel out of place and awkward. God's got a purpose for you. But this is probably the most important point this morning I need to make to you is this. And you got to understand, you find purpose through community, and that's on purpose. You find purpose through community, and that's on purpose. You, listen, when I say church, some of you, there are some of you in this room, now you've never had this conversation with me or whatever, but I understand church and I understand world. Like, I don't believe in church membership. No, it's not that you don't believe in church membership. What you don't believe in is accountability. If you take a coal out of the fire and put it over in a corner, it will go out. But if you leave it in the pile with other coals, you could start a fire the next morning. We're better together. And God calls us to commit. He calls us to commit to a community, to a church, to not any ministry, any mission that doesn't cost you anything does nothing. Cost nothing does nothing. You got to plug in and be, and listen, it's people that are going to help you find out who you are in Christ. Listen to this. I'll give you three reasons. And the first one alone should seal it for you. But the first one is this. The first reason why you need to discover purpose through community and commit to community is because it's biblical. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verses 2 through 4. You probably put your finger in that spot, but 
We'll read it here real quick. Here it goes. Paul says this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to what? That belongs to what? Your call. Catch what Paul is saying. The reason he's writing to the Ephesians is for them to see that the local church, the family of God, is God's purpose to use us to help reconcile the world to him. And he says to them, no, my friend, you are not a lone ranger. You are not an individual. You are not a piece of driftwood. You are part of one body, one calling, one love. And he says, bearing with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know what? The reason why you have to bear with people in patience and love is because you live with them. How many of you have somebody you live with this week and you contemplated killing them? <laughs> right? That's why he writes this. He's not talking about somebody that's like, you know, in our, he's not talking about somebody that's disconnected. He's talking about somebody like, I'm not going anywhere and I know I'm going to kill you. So I need God, please help me to love this person because I'm going to kill him. Please help me to love this person. I'm going to kill him. Like, and help me to know, Lord, that if I hurt them, I'm part of one body and I'm not really hurting them, I'm hurting me. Did you ever stop to think about that? The nasty things you say and the nasty things you do are really not hurting you, them, they're actually hurting you because you're part of one body, one spirit, one purpose, one hope that belongs to your call. You know the reason why so many people, nine out of ten people, never discover their purpose and their call in life is because they're too busy poking at everybody around them that they didn't realize that they were only hurting themselves and that their actual calling and discovering of their purpose lies with their ability to interact, connect with, get along with, and love and be influenced to and by other people around them. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes it really clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I picked a few verses to jump around here, but look at this. For just as the body is one and has many members... Just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body through many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And again, the head and cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Now, this is a bit of a morbid analogy, and actually it comes from this great book that I've been reading by Chris Hodges here called What's Next? If you're looking for a good read, whether you're a scholar or just a new person stumbling into church, highly recommend you read it. It brings back to the basics. It's the inspiration of everything we're talking about here. But if, he gives this example at one point about amputation. Now, if I go and I decide I don't need my hand, I'm just going to cut it off, or my hand says, I don't need you, I'm going to cut myself off, right? What's going to happen? Is a new hand going to grow back? No. Your hand's going to turn brown on the ground, and you're going to have someone else opening up your ketchup bottles for the rest of your life. Notice I didn't say mustard or mayonnaise. Any of you are new here, I can't stand those two things. Devil made them. <laughs> so it's biblical. The body language shows you're supposed to be part of a local community and commit to it. But you know what? There's a cultural problem. 
There are people, you don't like, you don't like this church. You don't like the music. You could find another one. You don't like the preaching. You could find another one. You don't like the fact that it's taken forever to finish up this back wall. Don't worry about it. You can find another church. By the way, the reason that this isn't finished is because the man that's doing it, his sister's husband's been in a coma and they had to pull the plug this week. And he said, I know it's taken a long time. And I was like, are you kidding me? If my church knew why you're not here, they would totally say, take as long as you want, right? I don't know if you're listening right now, Javier. Could we just say out loud, take as long as you need? You hear that, bro? That's for you, man. Like that's what we're about, not painting walls. You know, my goodness. But there's a cultural problem with commitment. It's a consumer culture that says, you deserve it. Yep, you'll deserve all the debt connected with it too. I deserve it. Or it's a disposable culture, right? We just take things and we just consume them and we just, I mean, just recently this hurricane that hit the Bahamas, the, the, the surge from the ocean spit out. It was like the ocean puked plastic all over the shore. It's like, I'm sick of taking your garbage. And all along, I think it was Florida or the Carolinas, it just vomited piles and tons of plastic. We just chucked it in there, but that's the thing too. Uh, You know what? The second you and I have relationship and you start getting in my face and you start challenging me and you say, you know what? You're cheap. You know what? You're self-centered. You know what? You're selfish. You know what? You're totally passive and indifferent and you're not doing anything. You just look at me and you're like, that's okay. I don't need you. Disposable. Poop. On to the next relationship. You know what? I've learned at my age, I don't have the ability to make any long friends anymore. Just recently, I had a friend of mine, both of us, we had a difference of opinion. I was right, he was wrong, but that wasn't his fault. But (laughs) he's not listening to this, I think. I hope not. But I called him up on the phone. I said, I need you in my life. I said, we were actually in Bible college together. We're the only ones left. Bible college. A couple of them died of heroin overdose. A couple of them changed their identity and their gender. A couple of them started in ministry and got disappointed with the church and left it. I said, we're the only ones standing, man. I need you in my life. And he was like, yeah, I need you in my life. And we got together and it was really, really great. But you know what? When you live a disposable life and you're just like, peace, 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 peace. It's sad to watch somebody in, as an elderly person all alone because they burned all of the meaningful long-term relationships in their life. You don't want that but it's never too late to become the person you were supposed to be. Somebody say amen to that. And it starts now, and that's a cultural reason. Listen, transplanting, if I, right now is a good time to transplant plants, and my wife's an expert at it, and we've got tons of stuff in our yard. She splits it, she's an expert at it, but if you don't do it right, and you don't do it in the right conditions, it kills the plant. And if you move something too much, it kills the plant. You know what? There's a cultural, practical reason here why you shouldn't be bebopping all over kingdom come and why you shouldn't keep it a distance and say, yeah, no, come close to me, but you're really saying stay away is because you need people in your life. And if you keep transplanting yourself and bouncing all over the place, you're killing yourself. You don't even recognize it. You don't even recognize it. And here's the thing. If you look out in nature and you realize that you find purpose in community and God did it on purpose, you can look at the aspen tree Aspen trees are beautiful, they're like birches, but what's different about these trees from any other tree is, is that when they're in a, they always grow in clusters in a forest and they share one another's root system, which means that when one of them eats, they all eat. When one of them takes in nutrients, they all take in nutrients. Or as we say in New York City, right? You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, right? We could say Lowell or Boston or whatever, but 
But we miss the fact that God says, I'm going to show you how to find purpose through community. And that's on purpose because you need other people, but other people need you. And we wonder why the church experience is empty or unstable. Maybe it's because we're bouncing around. Maybe it's because we got commitment problems. Let me tell you what. I dated a few different people through the years. And when I found my wife, I was like, man, I'm in love. And and God gave me what I needed as a human being. My wife is not here for you as the pastor's wife. She is not your mama. She is not like your spiritual leader. She is my wife. God has given her to me as a gift to me so that I don't turn into a cult leader. I'm crazy. She keeps me in line. (laughs) She, listen, she is God's gift to me. When the church was hiring me, I said, if you want to hire my wife, you can offer a job description, you can offer a salary, she'll probably turn you down, but she is God's gift to me, but you as board members and you as community, you're, you're God's gift to me as I am the gift to the church, and we, we all feed off of one another for what is good in God and what God has and what his purpose is, and when you learn to not get transplanted, but you dig down roots, you find that we all do things in a shared system, and we're better together than on our own, and we find things like the value of finding freedom isn't independently with God, it's having people in your life, and if you're sitting there and you're kind of like struggling with something over and over again, or you're feeling lonely, you're feeling this, the problem is that you're in isolation, you need to get on our website, go to Next Steps, find a small group, and if there isn't one there that you like, get a couple of people and start one of your own and let Pastor Dylan know, and we'd love to plug you into it. We need each other. We need each other. Here's the challenge, and um, when it comes down to finding purpose and community, God does it on purpose, but we have different ways of handling purpose, and I'd say the word that we could use interchangeably with this is dream. God says this, and in so many words, I like to say it to you in this kind of phrase, our purpose in Christ allows us to dream again. When was the last time you dreamed? When was the last time you looked forward to something and said, man, I can't wait to, or oh my goodness, I want to, or you know what, I am so excited that if you've reached a point in your life where you can no longer, where your, your past is more of what you talk about than your present and your future, you've lost the ability to dream. You've disconnected from purpose. When your past and your rearview mirror becomes greater than the windshield in front of you and you lose sight of looking forward to something, you're, you're seeing a forest and you're, you're seeing bark and you're not looking at the forest. You, you've missed the ability to dream. God wants to restore that to you. There's a great truth about this idea of dreaming that purpose gives us dreaming. In fact, you take Joseph. Joseph was, uh, for those of you that grew up in the church, you'll get this, but for those of you that didn't, and you're newer to the faith, I want to just explain this to you. Joseph, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, he was known as the dreamer. God gave him a dream that, that his family was bowing down to him. And now, you know, you can have an immature use of a dream. He was kind of like, you're going to bow down to me. Like, you ever do that to your older brother? Mom said, you're in trouble. And they'd be like, Yep, it's worth, it's worth the punishment, you know. I mean, he just dreamed. God showed him all kinds of dreams. And at first, he was selfish about his dreams. He thought they were about him. He thought that they were about power. He thought they were about pleasure. They were about his own well-being. He didn't realize that the dream that God hit, gave him and the God-given dream that God wants to give you and make you aware of with your purpose is actually not to serve yourself. It's to serve the entire world around you because we're better together. There's a verse in Psalm chapter one, uh, Psalms cha- uh, one twenty six, verse one. It says this: "A song of ascent." Whenever the Jews three times a year would go to Jerusalem and they'd walk 
for days. They'd sing songs, and this was one of the songs. They said, the song of ascent. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I say dream, you simply think about like, oh, I, I want to conquer that. I want to do that. I want to participate in that. I want to partake of that. Or I look forward to that. There's that one aspect of the word dream that's there, but that's not the fullness of what this word means. And in fact, I'm doing this for one person, David Hodge. You understand what chalam means, right? To dream. The proper translation of this word in this context means that which is sick to be made healthy and whole. All right, she gets it. So here's what's interesting. The Jewish people back many, many, uh, about about a thousand plus years ago started speaking Aramaic. And so they started translating all their Hebrew language verses into the Aramaic language. And when they chose to translate this into an Aramaic translation, which is called the Targum, the word that they chose to describe this was not going in the direction of dreaming a dream. It was in making something that which is sick, healthy. You see, when you tap into your God-given purpose and your dream, health begins to restore to your life. When you begin to dream again, life becomes clearer to you and fuller to you. You realize you have purpose instead of moping and turning inward, you begin to look upward and outward, and God begins to bring new opportunities and new challenges and new good things into your life because you're not looking in the rearview mirror, you're looking out the windshield. You're not looking at the bark, you're looking at the forest. You're not looking at the problem, you're looking at your purpose, and you're saying, I was made for this. See, some people here this morning, you've never had a dream before in your life. You've never asked God, Lord, What's that dream you have? I'm going to ask the team to come up here as we close, but you've never dreamed. You're distracted, you're bored, you're complacent, you're miserable. God wants you to dream again. He wants to restore life. And he says this in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, call on me and I'll show you great and unsearchable things that you didn't know. You're kind of like, I just kind of feel awkward. You know what? God's got purpose for you. He wants to reveal it. Some of you here, You have a dream, but it's not the right one. You think that it's to make a dollar, and it's not. It's not that God's against that, don't get me wrong. There's nothing sinful with being successful in business or anything like that, but you were called to more. You were called not just to make a dollar, you were called to make a difference. In fact, there's a great quote in here, two of them. The author says this in uh, What's Next. He says, you need a sense of purpose bigger than just more money, a nicer house, or the recognition of others. You already have what it takes from God. You just need to unlock it. You need to unlock that purpose. Some of you got a stale dream and the fire in your life is burned dim. You knew what it was like to be on fire from God, but right now you're like that coal that I took out of my fire and pit in the backyard the other day and set on the concrete just to watch it. And the fire and the coals that stuck together in the pit, they kept burning for hours but within minutes that coal that was left all alone it was out it was out there are two great beautiful verses talking about you and me and purpose 2 Corinthians 4-7 Paul says this we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels and jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's a clay cup. Nothing really impressive about it. In the ancient world, they would put money in it. There's no banks. No money was safe or guaranteed, but they would put coins in it. They'd put a lid on it, and they'd bury it in the ground. I have friends that are digging in Israel, and recently they dug up a pot of clay, and guess what was in it? Treasure. That was the way they hid it, and they'd just pray, oh, please don't let this army take us away, and we'll come back, and we'll dig it up. We'll be okay. And it didn't go well for them, but they hid it in an ordinary, everyday, common jar, and this is what God says to you and me. This is you. See, maturity is realizing that we're not as great as we think we are, but we're not as bad as everybody says we are either. Maybe even as we say to ourselves. And here's the thing I say to every young couple, you know what, that baby that you have is gonna disappoint you. That home that you get is gonna disappoint you. That career that you pursue is gonna disappoint you. Sooner or later, it's gonna disappoint you because it is not the thing that is supposed to give you true, genuine satisfaction. They are just vehicles and vessels and they are not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to find God, to find your purpose and to make a difference. And that difference is eternal. It is not a a Monday through Friday, nine to five thing. It is none of those things. It's saying, oh God, here I am, faults and all. I'm but dirt and dust. Change me. And so a king came into a kingdom and he was known for having the greatest vineyard and every year he would celebrate the harvest and he'd bring everybody in and he'd celebrate and they'd all have to drink from one cup and toast to the great wine this king made. And so he decided, you know what? I'm gonna pick the right vessel for this, the right cup. It's gonna take a special cup for this. So as he goes into his cabinet, all of a sudden the gold vessel starts screaming out to him, use me, king, use me. He picks it up. Gold kept, talks to him and says, king, what better than gold to put your wine in? I'm the most valuable metal in the world. Men live and die for me. You put your, your drink in me and everyone will taste and know how valuable and important and special it is because they'll know that you took the care of gold to put it in. Well, the king looked at it and he's like, Ah, it doesn't sit right. And all of a sudden, as he put it down, the silver vessel called out to him and goes, Use me, king, use me. What better than silver to put your precious wine in? Because I'm not as valuable as gold, but I do something even greater than gold. I am clean and pure. And every single person that looks at me sees the greatness of their reflection shining back at them. Oh, you have the best of guests at this event. You'll want them to be able to see as they toast to you their greatness that they were good enough to be at this gathering. King looks at it and he's like, it's not the right one. He looks at big ones, little ones, small ones, jeweled ones. But this time the cups don't yell to him. He looks at the cup and he says, I found it. I found it. This is the one. And the cup now speaks to the king. He says, King, why use me? I'm just an earthen vessel. I'm just made of clay. I'm dirt. Why not use gold? It's the most valuable commodity in the world. Men live and die for it. Or use silver. It's so pure it reflects back everybody that toasts to it. Why would you use me? And he said, oh, little cup, little cup, you're perfect. Because if I put it in gold, all that people will think about is its vanity. If I put it in silver, all they'll think about themselves. But if I put my treasure in you, nobody will be thinking about the vessel. They'll just be thinking about the greatness of the king that served them. You are this earthen vessel. The right gift is the one that's needed. You find purpose through your life and your shape and you find it through community. 
And Timothy says it like this. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honor and honorable use, set apart as holy and useful for the master, for every good work. You see, you might buy into everything right to this point. You might say, I believe God has a purpose for my life, but finding it's difficult. But I totally understand what you said, Pastor Paul. I got to look at my life. I got to look at God's word. I got to be a part of a community. I got to commit. I can totally do that. But the truth of the matter is I really don't feel that special, that important. And the truth of the matter is if you only knew how dirty my life was, God would never pour anything into that. A little cup. God says that if the vessel will cleanse itself, it will be used for honorable purposes from here forward. I don't know about you, but it wasn't before I became a Christian that I understood how unholy I am. It was after I became a Christian that I needed a savior just as much because I felt that I had to be perfect. Nobody's perfect, but everybody needs to become pure. And God wants to cleanse us here this morning. And God wants to put purpose back into your life, but it requires you also, number one, making yourself available to him because any mission that costs nothing does nothing. It's gonna call for sacrifice in your life, taking steps, but it's also gonna call for purifying yourself, saying, God, please forgive me, change me. I wonder if we could stand across this room this morning as we close here. And you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Paul, I need a fresh cleansing. I need God to pour the refreshing of his blood in my life to forgive me of my sin. I feel so shameful. I feel so guilty. I feel so, so unholy. That's not the problem. The problem is humbling ourselves and coming before God and saying, Jesus, forgive me, acknowledging our sin. If you're here today and you're saying, I need a fresh cleansing, I want you to just lift your hand. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I've never realized that God had a purpose for my life. I've been so wrapped up in the pain and the problems that I've gone through. I've never stopped to thinking that maybe the greatest purposes of my life will be that God will leverage what has hurt me and what has hindered me and actually how he's made me. And I can begin to make a difference from my heart that's been wounded, from my experience that have been difficult. And I just want to give God the my life today, all of my problems. If you're here today and you're saying, you don't understand, I have a lot of hurt in my life, I have a lot of pain, I wanna ask you something. Are you willing to hand that over to Jesus? Are you willing to let go of the past and hand it to him in the present and say, God, use this in the future for people? If that's you, raise your hand across this room, hands everywhere. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I pray for your presence to come in this room. I pray that you'd begin to speak to hearts. As the worship team plays, I wanna give you an invitation to come forward and to kneel or to stand, whatever you're comfortable with. But if you want to offer yourself to the Lord, to be a vessel of honor, to commit to him, to discover purpose, I believe that God's going to give you what you need to begin those first steps in that journey. Amen? Let's do it. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I pray that you, by your presence, would do things at this altar that no man could do. We invite you to meet your people between the, the porch and the altar right here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you as they play, come forward right now. Thank you.